You're listening to Talk Jive Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode from the Isle of Dr. Garneau. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me, of course, is Dr. Chris Garneau. Okay, Dr. Garneau, it's been just another week of craziness. Just when we think it can't get crazier, it does. <laughs> well, here's what happened this week. Uh, the New York Times broke open a big story, and it turns out Trump has faithfully paid millions of dollars in taxes dutifully every year. And then we had a wonderfully cordial debate that was uh, 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 very well moderated uh-huh. and um, free from all kinds of uh, shenanigans. Of course, I, I'm being facetious. None of that happened this week. Uh, it was another, what, what do they say on CNN? It was It was a shit a, show. Yes. <laughs> Yay, it's in the mainstream now. <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's a train wreck inside of a dumpster fire, you know, <laughs> heading off the rails. It's just insane. Okay, so we got to start with taxes, and then we'll end with the debate. Uh, so the New York, uh, New York Times released uh, more of what we know about taxes, and I heard, I don't know what the extent is, but there will be more to come. Um, so what we know is that Donald Trump did not pay uh, any taxes to the federal government in 10 out of the last 17 years. And in two of those years, 2016 and 2017, he only paid $750 each year, uh, which is a heck of a lot less than me and a heck of a lot less than a lot of Americans. Um, and so that was, it was interesting. Trump called it fake news. He never said why it was fake news or what was fake about it. So this was not, uh, to be quite honest, Kelly, this was not the part of the story that was as interesting to me because you know, we've known for a long time that the, the super rich have ways to get out of paying taxes. Um, it was the way that he did it. You know, he, he wrote off, uh, I think it was $70,000 worth of hair grooming or something like that. Uh, there was some interesting business with him hiring Ivanka as a private consultant. Um, and the, the big one, though, I think this was the biggest, is that it shows that he wrote off uh, close to half a billion dollars in business losses um, and that he has a very large amount of debt that is like a large, large amount of debt that is coming due here within the next few years that would actually be coming due while he, it, while he would be in his second term as president. Now, that's concerning for a lot of reasons. Uh, mostly, as I've heard, you can't get a military clearance uh, to work for an intelligence agency with that amount of debt uh, because you're considered too much of a liability and too persuadable by foreign governments, which the other thing we learned is he has a lot of dealings with foreign governments and has uh, a lot of investments with foreign governments. So um, while the not paying taxes thing hit the headlines, I think it was actually the sublines, Kelly, that were more concerning for me. Well, and I think, too, one of the things that's concerning about that, other than, like, who does he owe this money to, is how his supporters are, like, just completely do a 180 when it suits them about, like, this. Like, this is appalling. He is compromised. And it's like, what? He's a smart business person. All business people cheat on their taxes. Like, yeah, what? Well, right. It, and that's that, that's the thing. And it, it, it's it's from what we know about people who 
have been in New York City for a long time who have worked with him. He has a really hard time getting American banks to work with him now. Uh, he has a very difficult time getting American contractors to work with him because he's notorious for not paying them. So they do work. He says it's not good. They sue for uh, their compensation, and he, and he gets it muddy down in lawyers for so long. You know, he's got you know just stacks and stacks of papers worth of lawsuits that have been open for years and years and years. And so it's kind of it, it, it seems to be a repeating pattern that you know things don't always look like they're on the up and up, but you know, in, in Trump's style, he tends to muddy the water so much that I think in a lot of cases, these businesses just settle out of court, take a loss, and then say, I'm just not working with you anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, it, in, in true Trump style, you know, we still don't know what those losses are for, what the debt is all about. But, you know, again, it's all about the show. He's giving his, donating his salary is $450,000 uh, a year every year. Um, so it looks really good, but the, the reality is, is that we don't actually know how much, if any money he has, he may be completely underwater. We don't know. Um, so again, the, the troubling part is we don't know if the president is compromised. And that's really important when you have foreign leaders who are very interested, uh, you know, especially in people who could have inside information on American intelligence. And it doesn't get much more high up than the president. Well, and I think, too, um, <laughs> there, there's just so much there because you, it's like I said, like we said, you don't know who he owes the money to. And, like, he's got all of these loans that he's personally guaranteed. Like, yeah. what? And, and he's operated on debt for years. I mean, people know that. And that show... The Apprentice, that's what saved him. Like, it was that's all this production and everything that pretended that he was rich that allowed him to get these endorsements from Domino's and all of these different places to actually try to keep himself afloat, which he didn't even do. It was, and, and we've heard that from many different people who were close to him during those years. It was really his celebrity and the brand that he built that established much of his wealth that he had really, uh, one number that I had heard, I, I don't know how to corroborate this. Trump said he took a $1 million loan from his father. It was actually closer to 400 million over many years. Uh, and somehow has managed to bankrupt several businesses despite inheriting nearly half a billion dollars. Um, and if, if that number that I heard is correct, and it came from a source who knows more about than I do, um, wrote about it in the New York Times. So when it comes to the, the Apprentice, you're right. So that's when, that's when America really gets to know Donald Trump. And it's such a fascinating story because people kind of knew who he was. He'd show up on talk shows here and there. And there were Trump Towers in, in New York and in Vegas and that kind of stuff. And so people were really interested in who he was. Um, but he never, his celebrity really didn't come out until The Apprentice. And it was, it was this, you know, uh, fake boardroom with these, you know, kind of, semi, you know, reality show contestants who are trying to impress a guy who likely didn't have a whole lot of money to his name if you, once you subtract the debts. And then, you know, now as president, we're just going down the rabbit hole and figuring out as much about this guy as we can. Um, but it all makes for a very precarious kind of situation. I, I don't think this is the last we're going to talk about it. I think there's more that's going to come out before the election. I think there are people who really don't want to see him around who are working very diligently 
to um, get as much of this to see the open daylight as possible. Of course, the president will uh, deny all of it and his supporters won't care. Um, but I think for middle America, this is what it, what matters. So, Kelly, we're going to talk about this 5 to 6%. I've heard the, these numbers, this baffling 5 to 6% of undecided voters. And we had a debate on uh, Tuesday, and I, I was watching CNN, and they had this group of undecided voters because I'm wondering, who are these people? And they had 14 of them there. <laughs> they, were, they were just regular folks, you know, sitting on a stool. I don't know. And so it's, here, here's what I've heard because uh, I, I wanted to know more about these people. There's nothing demographically that really brings them together. I'm so not, sorry. No problem. You got <laughs> yeah, my dog in the backyard howl all the time. <laughs> Sorry about that. You were saying. Okay. So they have, a, it was kind of interesting if, if you looked at, at the undecided voters. Um, they're not predominantly white or black or Hispanic. They're not predominantly male or female. And they're not necessarily Republican or Democrat leaning. They're very independent. Um, but what they have in common is they are trying to decide not if they're going to vote between Trump or Biden. Most of them know if they're going to vote for one or the other. They just don't know if they're going to vote. So even those undecided aren't really all that undecided. So it's each candidate now needs to make a pitch that, yeah, it's worth it for you to show up. And um, the debate, Kelly, I watched all of it. Uh, I was uh, impressed. They never, took a, they never took a bathroom break or they never took a commercial break. It was just an hour and a half straight all the way through. And it, it appeared as though, you know, the, the, the easiest way I can explain it is, um, you know, Biden seemed like he had a strategy. He wanted to come in. He wanted to be measured. He wanted to show the American people that he is the calm, trusted leader that can, you know, Fail the ship through this storm, and President Trump came out like. Do you remember Tasmanian Devil and Looney Tunes? Oh yeah, it was like that. <laughs> it was just like. I mean, he was. He he started by interrupting and fighting with Biden. He was actually kind of well behaved the first three minutes when I went back and looked at it, and after that, couldn't help himself. And then I would say a good 10% of the debate was Trump fighting with Chris Wallace, the moderator, who I've now heard from many Trump supporters is this in-the-bag progressive commie liberal. Chris Wallace may have leaned Democrat a little bit, but he's also one of the most kind of even-keeled kind of guys. I, maybe I'm biased, Kelly, but I don't buy the narrative that Wallace was trying to protect Biden, because that's what I keep hearing. He was trying to protect Biden making Trump look bad. I didn't, I didn't see that. I saw a guy who was so completely frustrated with one of the candidates that he almost couldn't believe the position he was in trying to moderate a debate. So I would love to hear your perspective and what you thought on it. I am not, I am neither a Republican nor a Fox News watcher. And I you know, Chris Wallace, I guess, guilt by association or whatever with Fox. But I will say that he is a professional uh, on, on oh, whatever, yeah. whatever you think. Chris Wallace is a professional. He's a legacy, too. You know, and so um, and, and I thought, well, 
Chris Wallace will come in here and he'll do, he'll do a pretty good job because he's a Fox guy and Trump generally, you know, likes the Fox guys and whatever. So there you go. And yeah. He was the, Chris Chris or uh, Chris Wallace was incredulous that he was having yeah. to do that. And then that whole, "Oh wait, I have a question you're going to like now." I was like there were so many, if, if it was a ship sinking like the Titanic, like those, those alarms, those blaring alarms, like that was going off the whole time. Cause it was like, we have never even seen anything like this. <laughs> and there's Chris Wallace getting criticized in real time. Like wish we had a moderator. It's like, I'd like to see anybody try to do any better because once it right. comes down to Kristen Welker, Brown lady Kristen Welker from MSNBC. Um, right. You know, oh, and then the changes. Do we want to talk about the changes now or do we want to stay in line with the debate? Because we still have a lot to let's, unpack. Let's stay in line with the debate in our last few minutes. We'll, we'll talk about the changes and I'll talk about the next moderator. He's interesting. Um, I, yeah, my, I think Wallace kind of showed his cards by the end that he was completely flustered when he said, President, Mr. President, and I'm going to ask you a question, and you can answer something totally different. It was almost from SNL, right? It was almost like an SNL thing, like, I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer this or talk about whatever you want. Like, basically, like, I give up. I, I wave the white flag. You, sir, have outdone me. Uh, not outdone. I'm done. Not, he didn't outdo Wallace. What he did, this is what Trump wanted to do, and uh, this is not a conspiracy or me just conjecturing. His campaign coordinator said what his strategy was going in. They wanted to rattle bites. They wanted to be dominant. Trump wanted to dominate the debate, not through substance, not through argument. He just wanted to get Biden's stutter to, to rattle a little bit, which he did. Um, and, and that was his whole point. He, he wanted to interrupt, be as rude as he could, be as belligerent as he could. You know, they, they call him like the bull in the China shop. He was like the bulldozer in a China shop. He just he wanted to create chaos. Uh, anywhere he came, he fight with the moderator, fight with Biden, do whatever he could. He was like the uh, the, the kid, the kid in, in class who just caused so much disruption and so much chaos that eventually, you know, the teacher Wallace was sort of like the teacher who was just on the verge of sending the guy to the principal's office at any minute, you know. And Wallace had to keep reminding the president, "Your campaign agreed to these rules. Your campaign agreed to two minutes. We're not going to interrupt." Can you please just abide by what you say you were going to do? I didn't and agree to that. Trump, and yeah, I didn't agree to that. Trump had the hardest time doing anything. I mean, just really, really keeping up with it. And, and you know, Biden did interrupt a few times here and there, but Biden was kind of had it too. You know, he was sort of like the the good student in class. He was sick of listening to the class clown, and Biden even called him a clown one. Maybe it wasn't great, but he did. Uh, Trump called Biden dumb. Let's see what else. Uh, Biden told Trump he was the worst president ever. And at one point, he even said, "Would you shut the, uh, would you shut up, man, or shut the heck up?" I can't remember what he said. Um, and then Biden decided, or uh, Trump brought up Biden's son's addiction, and Biden said, "I love my son." It, it was drama and excitement, and at the same time, utterly embarrassing for an American because Kelly, the. You know, we don't watch other the debates that happen in other countries, but they sure as heck watch our debates. And I can't even imagine how excited Vladimir Putin must have been watching that debate uh, and how horrified someone like Justin Trudeau would have been going like, what is wrong in your country? 
It was nuts. It, it really was. And, like, they said that Trump interrupted Biden over 70 times. And oh, I believe it. I'm okay with voting for Biden now. Like, I have accepted it because I'm glad he came out scrappy. And, like, when he told him to shut up, I was like, oh. And, you know, when Trump is like, don't ever say smart to me. It's like, what? Like, dude, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have whiffed the Ivy Leagues if it wasn't for your daddy. Oh, yeah. He, you know, and it was, so it was the personal attack on Biden's intelligence and all this other stuff. Um, But but there were a few key moments uh, in the debate that I think really demonstrated some contrast in case anyone really was undecided between these two at this point. Uh, it, 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 let's, let's talk about the big one. So let's talk about, start with the one, uh, that rattled everybody. And I'll, I'll try to recall it as best as I can. It, it was towards the, about three, three quarters of the way through, but, um, Chris Wallace asks a question of Donald Trump, basically, will you disavow white supremacists and militants and racists, whatever, you know, will, will you con- condemn them? And, uh, and there were a lot of Trump supporters that were like, well, that was such a, a biased question to ask him that. And, and no, it's not because of the very fine people comment that he made after Charlottesville of, you know, or the fact that white supremacy groups have been very, very excited about his presidency. And they have admittedly said so, that they are, you know, that this is this is a guy that, that could push their agenda. So it is, you know, incumbent on the president, I think, to distance himself, to say, no, 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 these groups are not great. And so Wallace says, you know, will you disavow them? And Trump, to his credit, he said very quietly in a very timid way, sure, sure. But then instead of just saying yes, he goes, well, who are we talking about? Who are we talking about? And you can tell he was like, well, you know, if we're talking about KKK, yes, I'll say, I can say I disavow them, but what about some of these other groups that are maybe not kind of fringy, but not quite that bad. Maybe he's okay with them. So I feel like it was just a measured attempt to figure out what he was going to say and what groups they were talking about. So Joe Biden calls out the Proud Boys. Not sure who they are. You can look them up. Um, it's a bunch of dudes who seem to walk around with tiki, tiki, uh, tiki torches, uh, and they've got ties to white nationalism. So anyways, Trump wouldn't, you know, wouldn't flat out disavow, just starts changing the subject, doesn't, you know, really move on. But here's the issue that I have, because I've, I've heard a lot of his supporters saying, yeah, he, he did twice. He said, sure, sure. And he did. He said it very quietly. I've never known Trump to be like that with anything that he has a conviction about. If he likes something, he'll let you know. If he doesn't like it, he'll let you know. But that very timid, almost inaudible, sure, sure, that was, in, in, in my mind, I think he was scrambling to think about what he was going to say. But people have had lots of different interpretations. So Kelly, I'm really interested in, you know, what your impression was during that moment. I thought that Trump getting called out from Chris Wallace, because all Chris Wallace as the moderator wanted was an answer. Just yes or no. Will you, um, you know, will you say that you do not support white supremacy. Yes or no. And Joe Biden's like, say it, say it. (laughs) (laughs) 
He's like, who? And Chris Wallace is like, uh, the white supremacists. Just say white supremacy and cover all your bases kind of thing, you know? And then Joe yeah, Biden calls that. out Proud Boys. And then all of a sudden, it's like, um, stand down. I can't remember stand down or stand back, but stand down and, you know, stand by. And right yeah. then, again, the alarm bells went off because I was like, he just um, mobilized them. Right. And the same, and within an hour, they already had a brand new logo. They already had it branded and everything. The Proud Boys did, yeah. Stand back, the stand, stand back and stand by. Right. And so, in other words, the white supremacist group, they, they heard it. Uh, they have an interpretation of it now. And it's, it, it was just really, really odd. And then, you know, let's fast forward a little bit in the debate. And the other part, that took out so much oxygen in the room that what happened later, while it was about as important, maybe got glossed over, which was, will you honor the outcome of this election? And Joe Biden said, yes, if I win, great. If I lose, fine. And Trump would not, again, he wouldn't let himself get clean. He was just trying to weasel around and, you know, basically said, you know, they got the thrown away ballots, a bunch of lies about all this stuff, thrown away ballots in the river. No, they weren't, you know, problems with mailing. No, there really isn't. And then he says, you know, I've had my supporters watching peacefully watching, just watching. And so he, when you start piecing this together, it, it almost makes it sound like he's in like in, in a very tacit way, you know, stand by, uh, we need to watch the polls, those kinds of things. It's, I think it's really intimidating is what it is more than anything. And, and it's, I saw on 538 today that after that debate, Trump's chances have, have shrunk by quite a bit. He's now only about the one in five favorite to win the electoral college. The lower his chances go, the nuttier it's going to get in terms of the rhetoric and what's going to come out of these debates. And I don't know if anything can top this debate, Kelly, because it was nuts. And we're not even scratching the surface I mean, how, of, of how crazy it was. But let's, let's go ahead and talk about what, what, what's coming up, because the next one is going to be a town hall format. And for listeners who don't know, town hall is, you know, usually for someone in the audience that's a voter, they ask a question, and, you know, they're kind of sitting around in a casual, uh, casual format, and then the, the candidate gets to walk around. This is the one where four years ago, Donald Trump kept like, like lurking behind Hillary Clinton as she was answering questions. He was like just getting in her space. It was weird. Anyway, so that's that's the format of the next one. And the uh, the, the moderator is from C-SPAN. Can't remember his name now. Just escape me. Steve. Uh, Steve Scully. It's not Scully. Steve. Steve Scully. I'll to look. Steve Scully. Scully. He, John Oliver's called him the most patient man ever. Like people will call into his C-SPAN Sunday morning show and just say the most ridiculous stuff. And he'll say, okay, okay. And he interviewed Trump and Trump would just like, just talk and talk. And, and he'd be like, okay. Uh, and so maybe this will be better because in the town hall format, interruptions are generally not as common because it's very conversational between the candidate and the person asking the question. But uh, Kelly, I, I know they were talking about format changes. Did something officially come out today on that? 
I don't know. I know that they were kicking around the idea of being able to mute the uh, microphones of the candidates so they could just completely cut it out. I would suggest like shock collars or something, but that's just me. I mean, if we really want to spice it up and get those ratings up, that's, that's where I would go. Um, but you know, I think too, it's probably going to be a little bit calmer, um, because they're going to have actual voters. They're going to be engaging with actual voters. And I think that they're going to probably want to maintain a little bit more, but the one I'm really ready to see is, uh, the vice presidential debate. I think that's actually going to be a much better debate. Um, you know, Pence, I, I think Pence, is he's obviously more controlled than the president. Um, he's more even keeled and even tempered than the president. Uh, and Kamala Harris, we got to see a little bit of what she can do in the, uh, in the primaries. And, and she ate Joe Biden's lunch one day. Um, and, you know, she, she's able to, to kind of stand on her own two feet pretty well. I think she's actually quite a good debater. Um, I think Mike Pence is going to have his hands full. And here's my projection, Kelly. I think the Harris campaign is going to try to put uh, Pence on the ropes by having to defend the president. And I think, and that number one, and then number two, because Mike Pence has put in charge of the coronavirus task force. I think that's the one-two punch strategy in, uh, in in watching the vice presidential debates coming up. What do you think? In our last few minutes, let's talk about what you think about kind of the outcome of this debate, like who won this debate and what are you, what are you predicting like the outcome? And I know that's so, because it's been so crazy, but what do you see for the outcome of not only the next two presidential debates, but also where the Mm -hmm. vice presidential debate is either going to harm or hurt that candidate? Well, okay, so in the ideal, like, sorry, just trying to be very idealistic, I think, I know who lost, and that was the United States in this debate. Nobody, nobody gained any better information. Nobody's better off for it. Uh, Chris Wallace, uh, it was an incredible disrespect to him, as he said, a professional. He lost. Uh, that was an opportunity for him to do something remarkable and esteemed as, you know, moderators, you know, who have been selected to, to be in this position before have. Um, I think, you know, in terms of how it's going to affect them in the election and in the polls, I think it's it's a Biden win. I don't think he was remarkably good. In fact, I think of all the debates, you know, I remember Hillary Clinton just mopping the floor with Donald Trump three debates in a row. And I'm sorry, it wasn't even close. Uh, you know, Mitt Romney got a good debate against Obama in 2012, but Obama dominated most of those. Obama just completely dominated in 2008. So the point is, winners of these debates, you can tell they had a strong debate. They, they felt strong. Biden really only had two great moments for me. One was, you know, when he would stick up to Trump, the he just shut up type thing. And the other one is when Trump attacked his son. And when he said, you know, my son had an addiction problem, he fought it, he fixed it. Uh, I'm proud of him for it. You know, I'm proud of my, when he said, I'm proud of my son. I was like, wow, that's a, that's a human moment right there. And that touches Americans in a lot of ways because a lot of Americans have seen similar things with addiction and, and, and maybe saw that as a low blow by Trump. Um, 
you know, for Trump, it, you know, it was par for the course. It, the only thing that was different is no different than his rhetoric, no different from the way he's conducted himself before. We just never seen him so aggressive in a debate before. And clearly his strategy was to try to try to get Biden into stumbling on his words. It worked a little bit. But overall, it just made him look really, really petty, honestly. I, it was it was embarrassing. Um, I I really don't agree with the analysis afterwards that some have had that, oh, it was just a shouting match back and forth. I don't really think so. I think Trump provoked most of that. Biden was trying to – Biden lost a lot of time. He lost so much of his speaking time because Trump just jumped in. So – there weren't a lot of winners from this debate. It was probably the weakest win I've ever seen. Uh, Biden won, but it wasn't a strong performance. What I think next time, I think the town hall uh, style is going to be better for the country in being able to hear the candidates better. I think the mute button would definitely help the country. Um, but I think that's actually going to help Donald Trump more than anyone else. Uh, I think the mute button would uh, help him tremendously. And he thinks it wouldn't because then he doesn't get to get his little jabs in. But he won't look like such an off the rails, complete, you know, complete disaster of a, of a debater. Um, and so I, I think if I were his campaign, like they, they said, they probably won't agree to a mute button. If I was his campaign, I, I actually would. I, I think that, that's going to serve him better. But we'll see. Uh, in terms of the vice president, um, I think uh, Pence isn't really going to move the needle for, for Trump at all because Trump supporters are already with Trump. Doesn't matter what Pence does. But Kamala Harris has a really great opportunity here. She uh, can, you know, Biden, he's not a horrible debater, but he's not that strong either. Um, I think she can really show that she can balance out this kit and that she has presence to be able to knock back at Trump and Pence. Um, I think I think she's going to be scrappy, and, but I also think she's going to be very stately in the way that she does it, shows herself as presidential, even though she's the, you know, the VP pick. Um, I, I think, I think she's going to do a great job. Uh, so I think there's more to be gained from Biden out of the VP debate than there is from Trump. Well, I love 538 and I just, I still am really uncomfortable with the chances that Trump has to win the electoral college. So with our last 60 seconds, what do you say to folks who are still reading into those statistics like that. Okay. Um, so your discomfort is not well-founded because uh, Hillary Clinton had a good chance. Uh, Trump had, you know, what was it, like a 30, 35% chance of winning on election night. And that's 35% chance, and he won. Um, Biden has a stronger chance than Clinton did. For, for uh, Trump, this time it's only 20%. But... The polls did not predict correctly last time. So what do we say about the polls this time? The internal polling that they've done in the last four years has tried to adjust for their error. And the problem last time is that there were all these people who voted for Trump, what they call the embarrassed Trump voter. They were embarrassed to say in exit polls that they voted for Trump. But once he was elected, all of that embarrassment went away because they're like, oh, he won great. The guy I like won. And so that really eliminated all of that potential embarrassment. So now the people who say they're going to be voting for Trump, we think really are more accurately the ones who are voting for Trump. Biden is doing very well in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. It's a toss up in places like Florida and Arizona. 
and he has a great shot in places like Iowa, Texas, and Georgia. All of the states I just mentioned went to Trump last time. If Biden finishes as strong as he did uh, in this first debate or, or keeps that momentum going, there's a good chance it could be such a landslide that there's no way that Trump will be able to put up a fight, even in the Supreme Court, uh, against the Biden victory in the Electoral College. Okay, well, let's hope for sure. Thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you've missed this conversation or any of our past episodes, all you got to do is catch up with those wherever you get your podcast. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Dr. Chris Garneau. Have a great day, everyone. We'll catch you back here next week.